Good afternoon, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. Happy long weekend. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you don't know what to be thankful for, be thankful it's a long weekend, right? Beautiful weather we're having these days. Have you looked out the windows lately? Have you been able to tear yourself away from your smartphone long enough to look out the window? Do you see those beautiful colors starting to change? I love Canada. I'm thankful that I'm living here in Canada because we got the four seasons. I'm thankful that we're living here because I get to see those leaves change. And I get to see those leaves fall. And I get to see when springtime comes, it buds again, new life. It reminds me, it reminds me of God's faithfulness and it reminds me of how no matter how difficult life might seem right now, no matter if I have to let go of certain things, that God is faithful and he will bring new life again and again to anybody who's seeking him, yeah? This is cool. So today is Thanksgiving. Well, not today. Today is Thanksgiving weekend. This is our service. I would like to open up very briefly, just standing right where you are. If you have a praise for God, and it might just be one or two words, right? Right where, you're stand, right where you are, just stand up and say what you are praising God for today. So on the count of three, you know what? Let's start on this side. And not everybody has to say something, but I hope you're thankful for something. If you feel moved to stand up and declare what you're praising God for today, then I invite you, this is the time to do it, all right? This is the time we could declare openly amongst all our brothers and sisters because we're, we're here at praise gathering. So we gather to bring God praise, amen? All right, so maybe starting on this side, if you have like a word or two words, what are you praising God for today, Rexy? Whatever happening in my life. Whatever's happening in your life. All right. Anybody else? What are you praising God for today? Stand up and declare it. Jelly. You're praising God for jelly. I praise God for jelly. <laughs> your huge family. Your huge family. Praise <laughs> Stand up and declare it. <laughs> Thank God for my wife. All right. <laughs> Thank God for his wife. Anybody else? How about the Praise God in the midst of the noise and the hectic. Praise God for the children, yes. Anybody else? I praise God for my break from the kids. A break from the kids. We need that sometimes. Praise God for the break and the rest, right? Anybody else? I praise God for my parents. For your parents. Praise God. Anybody else? Thankful for health and family. Anybody else? Trials, strength through the trials. Amen. Anybody else? My wife. Oh. Ah, I praise God for that too. <laughs> yeah, she's praising God that. Um, that God use, that I allow God to use me to lead, to share. Yeah. And that's it, it's sharing, right? 
And we all have the opportunity to share God's goodness and faithfulness. And we're all ministers of the gospel, right? So as believers, friends, don't be afraid to declare it. Don't be afraid to declare and praise God for everything that's going on in your life. Even if it's good or seemingly bad, we could still find reasons to praise God. Amen? All right. Anybody else before we move on? Oh, praise God for a faith community. Amen. Yeah, definitely praising God for a faith community. Um, we are meant to journey together, not alone. And God made sure when he called us as believers together... Listen, it's not good for man to be alone. Love each other. Love each other well. Serve one another. And we have that opportunity in our faith community. Anybody else? Yes. Oh, praise it. <laughs> praise God for that. For a daughter and for bringing her to Canada. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay. You know what? We have many opportunities to praise. Maybe we should make this part of our regular praise gathering. Why do we have to wait till Thanksgiving? Right? So at the end of our singing, we're going to have an opportunity to praise. And we're also going to start asking people to share their testimonies. And we're going to talk more about that later. Right now, I would like to invite two of my friends from my access group. Um, we're going to start with Annette first. She has a, a word to, to praise God for. <laughs> Anyways, I'm just um, very grateful, especially this year. I've, I've gotten to see God work in my life and my family. So, you know, like, um, for those who don't know, this year, just in April, my, my niece uh, got ran over by a train. And, you know, she, I mean, it was a bad situation and it was a scary situation. She's eight and, you know, like, but just by, I feel, I saw God working through that whole situation, you know, like, so, you know, like, she got hit by a train. She's not dead. She's, not dead. she's alive. You said she got run over. Yeah. Hey, let me tell a story. You, 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 you keep your own. I say what I say. Yeah, but it's just that uh, she's. Yeah, it's just that uh, just watching that situation, you know, we prayed, you prayed so hard. Yeah, she got amputated, but just really what I watched the whole time is her spirit. You know, she's so positive, and right now she's being used as an example for how do you survive diver like diversity when things happen to you and you have no control over it. And she's just so positive, and I see God walking through her, and I'm like, yeah, she, has, she doesn't have a leg anymore, but she never complained. Mm. She never said, why? She never, not once has she ever said, oh, why did I lose my leg? You know, she just, she's eight, but, you know, you get to see God, you know, walking through her. And I, I'm just grateful she's alive, 
and that I feel like she's going to do great things. And I feel like everything that happens in your life, if you trust God, he, there's always, a, he's going to lead you to do great, great and better things. And I'm just seeing all that happens. And I, bad things happen to us all the time. I mean, I'm not here because, oh, God has been so great to me. I'm here to say, to testify that God is great when you really keep your eyes on him through anything that happens, you will see how he works through it. Okay. Um, I, I have a nephew, um, my cousin's son. He was born, he, this little baby is one year and a half, and he suffered from the day he was born. He was premature, that almost died many, many times. Even right now, he was in the hospital in a coma for like a week. Um, but, and they told us that, oh, you, he needs to be um, operated on because his, uh, his uh, spinal cord is not right. So they need to go in and break everything and put it all back together. But we're like, no, that's too much for a little baby. And they're like, you have to do it before he will never walk, he'll be disabled. This last week he took his, he started walking. Like really walking. So they said he wouldn't walk. But he, although they're suffering, there's a lot of pain and whatever, but by prayer, God just, you can see him answering your prayers. And, and I think we just have to keep our eyes open to see, hmm, what is he trying to say? Where is he trying to lead us? What is it that he's trying to teach us here? Instead of being so angry or allowing fear to own us. Um, this week, my aunt was diagnosed. At first, they told us, oh, she has stage four cancer. Everybody's like, oh, my gosh, she's going to die. Or, you know, everybody's so afraid. But, you know, we're just like, you know what? We can't control what is going on, but we can pray. And I feel like, you know, the diagnosis is not as bad anymore. She's maybe three, stage three, you know. But I just feel like even that, you know, just pray. Don't, we tend to get so angry at God. We get tend to, to be so, um, we, we, we embrace pain. You know, we just, we don't allow them to throw up of the world, you know, the world. Things come at us and we just want to wallow in that. But just keep your eyes to God and just keep watching and keep listening and keep praying and have that faith that, you know, God loves us. God will answer. God will lead us. And he's the driver. So just focus on him and he will get you through whatever you're going through. And I'm just grateful that I have the family that I do. I'm grateful for this community also. You know, I've grown so much as a Christian. You know, I grew up in the church, but I've grown as a Christian. So I understand God more now, and I see more about what he does, you know, every day, even in the little things and the big things, the bad things everywhere. I see him everywhere. So I'm just grateful to be here. Thank you, Annette. Yeah, God can work amazing things in unexpected ways, hey? I'd like to invite Chris Lido as well. Like, you hear this guy talk. You might not have heard Annette talk much, but when she comes to her access group, she preaches to me. And I'm so grateful for her, her testimonies. Uh, Chris Lido, he also preaches to me. Um, so Tim just asked me this to say something like, I don't know, 15 minutes ago. <laughs> and he said, you know, look at the sidebar. And I read it and it said, you know, secular testimony, focus on self. 
Christian testimony is focused on Jesus, how he got in our path, knocked us off our sinful course, called us to repentance, and commissions us to do his great work. And I just started thinking about that in my life, and I remember, you know when we started Connections, I don't know how many years ago now, 16, 17 years ago, and I remember leaving the church, the, the only church that I had known, like growing up in Bramalee, uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church, and it was always the same thing, and I came to Connections, and it was something different and something new, a new way to praise God, and I thought, you know what? I'm making a difference. I'm maturing in my spiritual life. But then there was this situation, and I, I remember this specifically when when I was called upon this because even back then, I, I wasn't part of the praise team right away. I joined eventually, and I remember being up, up at the front and, and being part of, of that team, and there was one weekend where we had just finished and we were doing the singing and we had the lesson study and everything was great. And you have this spiritual high and you think that, okay, it's something different. It's not like church and I'm, I'm, I'm growing now. But then that night, it was a Saturday night, what we typically did, I was in my 20s, we went out to the club and we thought nothing wrong with it. You know, we go out and we have fun. We might drink a few drinks and we're out there and you think, oh, I can go to church and I can go to the club at the same time. And there was that particular weekend when we went out, there was someone who came with us and he had visited Connections a few times and he came out with us. And I was thinking, you know what? We go out and I'm at the front and you know we're praising God for all he's done for us. And then that same night I'm going out and I'm drinking and going out to the club with my friends. And I started to question, like what am I really standing for? What is the truth in my life? Do I have integrity to stand up front and praise God and then at the nighttime in my own time do these other things, these worldly things? And I was thinking about, I love watching sports. I love watching TV. I like going out to the mall. I like doing all these things. Can I give up those things and live this life for God? And I was like, I don't know. I like doing these things a lot. I don't know if I could give up these worldly things, these secular things. And it's funny because right now, I look at my life in comparison, and I don't watch TV anymore. Um, I don't watch sports. I don't like going out to the club. Um, <laughs> but, like, my friend was playing a secular song for me, and just the lyrics is like, the world is foreign to me now, and I praise God because I didn't try all he did was, I just tried to commit as much as I could. I said, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to study. I'm going to grow as much as I can. I went to the Bible studies more. And I didn't try and be a better person. I just tried to stay connected as much as possible. And when I think of where my life is now, if I didn't do those things, I don't know where it would be. Because I love my life now. I don't have those secular things. I don't like going to sporting events even. The playoffs were on for basketball and, and hockey, and I wasn't even watching the playoffs. And this was my life before. I would wake up and see the sports scores, and I would listen to this, this music, and I can't even listen to secular music anymore because it hurts my ears, it hurts my heart. And to think that other people are still living this way, and I want them to wake up and experience the life that they can have just by hanging on to Jesus and focusing on him. 
and I see how much better life can be. Giving up those things that I thought I liked, I thought I loved, but it's such garbage compared to the life you could live just connected to Jesus and experiencing his love and being able to share that with other people. And I just, when we are seeing earlier what a powerful name it is, I just felt overwhelmed when you think about it that, Sometimes I have to force myself not to think about it because when I think about how much God has done for me, it overwhelms me every single time to think of how he's changed me in my life. And I'm just thankful for what he's done. Like, I'm so thankful that I was able to give up those things and not even trying to give it up. It just happened as much as I just continued to follow God all those things, they just faded away. When I turned my eyes on Jesus, the world just got dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And I'm just thankful for where I am now because I made that choice. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Chris, for sharing. I would like to give opportunities, you know, maybe each week we might be able to have a, a testimony and we'll give you more time to prepare than I gave Chris Lito and Annette today, <laughs> okay? Um, but if you have a testimony you would like to share, please come and share it with us. Um, come talk to myself, um, Uncle Manny, talk to anybody, and, and we'll get you connected, and hopefully you can share your stories here as well, okay? Do you all have your handouts today? If you need a handout, shoot your hand up in the air. We'll help you with that, okay? Our study today is called Giving Thanks. Giving Thanks. And our key text is found here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, and this one is out of the message paraphrase. Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. How many of you recognize this? passage. It looks a little different. How can you be cheerful no matter what, right? Pray all the time and thank God no matter what happens, right? In the NIV, it goes something like, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks to God in all circumstances, okay? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you are a believer and you're in Christ Jesus, this is the way that God wants you to live. He wants you to know this joy. He wants you to have a cheerful life. He wants you to stay connected with him through prayer. And he wants you to have a, an attitude of thanksgiving, not just when things happen that go well, but even in the midst of trial and adversity, we can still be thankful. All right? This is what God wants for his followers. And all these things have to do with something on the inside, okay? It's not your circumstances around you. This is God's will for you from the inside. He wants you to be a, a happy, cheerful, loving person that, that has an attitude of thanksgiving. When we're thankful for things, we don't have time to be proud. When we're thank, truly thankful for things and grateful, we recognize that there's something outside of us that we have yet to receive, Friends, no matter how much you felt you have received from God, there is still more and more each and every day. His mercies are new every morning. So every morning you have something new to praise God for. Amen? 
All right. So our first uh, section today is entitled, Please and Thanks, Being More Than Polite. Now, how many of you have heard this rhyme before? It goes, gimme, gimme, never gets. Don't you know your manners yet? Well, this is one that we used here in Canada a lot. And we, we would say this to children that are so demanding and always wanting. I want it, I want it. You go to the mall. I want that in the window. Get it for me. Give me, give me, never gets. Don't you know your manners yet? And we teach our children to say please and thank you. Now, I was informed earlier this week that there are some classes in the Philippines, right, that teach you how to be polite, how to have good etiquette, how to carry yourself and be responsible and respectable, and how to respect other people, right? I wish we had more of those courses here because... Um, as much as Canada is known as the most polite place on earth, you kind of see beneath the surface of all that. If you've been living here in Canada, you know, people think that we're nice. They think, wow, it's the nicest country in the world because everybody's so polite. You know, you open the door, they say, oh, thank you. Thank you. If you go down to the States and you hold the door open for anybody, don't expect a thank you. All right? It's part of our Canadian culture. Okay. So I was ingrained with this sort of thinking, always make sure you say please, always make sure you say thank you. But what does please even really mean? Are you begging for something? Are you trying to request something? Or is it just a way to manipulate people into thinking, listen, I'm a good person, I have manners, I said please, so now you must comply. As long as I say please, you have to say, you have to do what I'm asking, right? And if you don't do what I'm asking, but I said, please, you know. Daddy, could I have the iPad? No, son. Please. I already said no. You think saying please is going to make a difference? I will not be manipulated, right? We have resorted to using words like please and thanks in such a loose way. When you say thanks to someone, are you really grateful for what the person's done? Or the person like... Uh, let, could I use this? At work, right? Um, I might ask someone to help fix something. And I say, please. And they do it, but it's their job. And then I say, thanks, once the task is completed. Now I don't even wait for the task to be completed. I say, could you do this for me kindly, please? Thanks. They haven't even done it yet. I'm already thanking them. All right? We use it so lightly sometimes that it's, it's lost its meaning where these words come from. We're going to be looking into the Bible to see where this um, concept of please, where it comes from, okay? Let's look at James chapter 4, verse 3. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That you may spend what you get on... Your pleasures, pleasure, and please have a similar root word here, okay? Please, pleasure. How often do you ask for something simply because you want it? You know, when we pray, we, we ask God to supply our every need, right? But most of the time, we're not praying for our need. We're going to tack on a bunch of wants. God, I want this, I want that. And it reveals what your heart's desire really is, right? So you're like, God, I'm coming to you. Won't you 
please me by giving me what I want, please, because I want it. So want and desire go hand in hand here. How does want and desire correlate with each other? Desire has to do with pleasure, you see. What is the desire of your heart when you approach God? What is the desire of your heart when you pray and ask God anything? Do you want it so that you could spend it on your pleasures? Please, God, I really don't want that beat-up car. I want, like, a new car. I want a better car. Just give it to me, please. And, you know, please. Okay, God, I'm waiting for my new car. Is it coming? <laughs> you know? And you say, I don't want that rusty old car, although it will do the same job. It gets you from point A to point B. That's the purpose of the vehicle, right? But you still want more. Your need is for transportation, but your desire is for expensive transportation. Okay? Your need is to have food, right? We need to eat. And when there's no food, you would take anything that comes to you probably. But when you get hungry in the middle of the day and you, you figure, you know what, I'm really hungry. Why don't I go to that really fancy Japanese restaurant with that really fine and rare sushi, and I don't care how much it costs, but I, I, that's what I need right now. And we ask God for things sometimes with that same attitude. We're expecting God to please us by giving us our heart's desire, right? Let's look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 to 22. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Ah, there it is. You receive anything you ask from God. These guys are saying why? Because we keep his commands. Those who love him keep his commands, right? Those who love him have their hearts set on him. So whatever their heart desires would be something of God, right? But if you don't love Jesus, if you don't love God, then the things that you're asking might be to please something else, not what pleases God, right? Keep his commands and do what pleases him. Let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 to 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Okay, so we know that God hears us when we ask anything according to his will. Not my will, but your will, God, right? When you ask anything according to his will, it's what God wants. So, of course, we receive what we ask when we are living in obedience, and we do what is pleasing to him. If you live in obedience, you've submitted your will to God's. You allow God's will to be what, what you live your life by, okay? Question. How many of you here love God? Cool, I love the Lord. How many of you obey his commands? Okay, as much as we, when we're aware, we're obedient, yeah? Sometimes we, we forget. That's okay, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, right? We're not expected to get it all right all the time. 
How many of you, when you pray, do you ask God if it pleases you? Sometimes we say, God, you know what? Um, this is what I want. So if it's your will, in Jesus' name, please. <laughs> the magic formula <laughs> in our prayer. But are we really asking what is according to his will? Do we care about what pleases God? You know that, that term, um, Back in the old days when there were kings and queens, somebody would come before the king and make a request, and they would say, if it pleases the king, and then they state their, their case, their plea. If it pleases the king, let me take vacation this week. Right? <laughs> if it pleases the king. But now we use that word to manipulate everybody around us, to get what we want for ourselves. Can you do this for me, please? Just please take care of it, okay? Please. I said please several times, so you got to do it now. Sometimes we do that with God. God, I humble myself before you, and this is what I really want, and I'm asking it, please, in Jesus' name. Here I am, and I'm waiting on you, Lord, and the Bible says good things come to those who wait, <laughs> or something like that. And we think that we're going to be able to manipulate God this way, deep in your heart, I think you understand. Deep in your heart, I know you know your motives when you come before God. Is it to please him, or are you waiting for God to please you? Okay? Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. <laughs> is, anybody, are, is anybody here a people pleaser? It's okay, you can admit it. We will help you. We will pray for you. It's not a bad thing because, you know, at some point in our lives, we get caught in this trap. We feel we need to do things to please other people so that we could gain their approval. Right? This is like witchcraft. This is not good. We don't need to worry about pleasing people. Love them, yes. Serve them, yes. But do not make them your God. We live to please God and God alone. We were created for his pleasure. Amen? That's why he created us in his image, so we could understand and have this capacity to know him. More than all the other creatures on this planet Earth, all the chipmunks and squirrels you see running around, they will not have the relationship with God that you and I can have. You were created for his pleasure. So anything that you do, does it please the Lord? Like Chris Lito was sharing in his testimony earlier, how could I come and serve God one minute and the next minute my life is serving something else? You cannot serve two masters Pick one, yeah? Mm -hmm. Because whether you like it or not, you were created to worship. So no matter what you do, you are worshiping something. If it's not God, it's something else, okay? Your life, you think it's your life. Remember, your life was purchased with the blood of Christ on the cross. Your life is his. If you go against him, do you really think things will go that well for you in the long run? 
if you live with him now, and you could live with him for all eternity, are you living to do what pleases him? Because if you're living simply to please yourself, friends, you've chosen another God. You've chosen a God of pride, of selfishness, of arrogance, entitlement. You've chosen something that is not God. And if that's you today, I don't want you to feel discouraged. Maybe a little bit. I don't want you to feel like it's the end of the world. Because maybe you just haven't heard the truth yet. Maybe you've been misguided. Maybe you have had confusing messages about God coming your way. Friends, if that's you today, come talk to me after the service. I'll pray right with you. Okay? Gather around other believers. Let them pray for you too. That all the, all the little gods that promise us things that we still try to win approval for, we're smashing all those things away and we're saying, God, I am who you say I am. All the approval I need is from you. Right? Are you a servant of Christ? Or do you seek the approval of men? Sometimes we think, God won't do this for me. So I'm going to go out there and find all the people I can manipulate to make this happen for myself. And there are many people that proclaim to be Christians. And instead of waiting on the Lord and trusting God in the midst of their trial, they're like, I can't just pray. I need to go out and make this happen for myself. So they insert themselves. They make all the connections, manipulate everybody around them. And one day, they get what they want. And they're like, look at me. Oh, thank God, by the way. Thank God because I got this and I got that and I did it all myself. But thank God because I'm better than I was before and I'm better than you and that's no testimony. I mean, a changed life is a powerful testimony. But we cannot change ourselves. Only God could change us. No matter how hard we try, the only thing we have is the power or the freedom to choose to submit to God. Mm -hmm. And when we submit to God, it says, God, have your way in me. Mm -hmm. So it's him doing the work in your life. It's not you. How dare we boast? How dare we brag? We can only brag of the God that we have because he is the one that needs to be glorified. Mm -hmm. He is the one doing all the work. I hate when the person not doing the work gets all the credit. You know what I mean? There's those behind-the-scenes people. You know, it's a team effort. Everyone's working together, and then there's a front man that takes all the credit. It's a terrible thing. We're going to study more about that through the rest of our study today. Let's look at John chapter 14, verse 13 to 14. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask anything in my name, and I will do it. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. And your joy will be complete. You know, you could have uh, this a little bit of joy when you're hoping for something, 
When you're hoping and you're waiting and you're looking forward, hope doesn't just mean wishing. Hope means you know that it's coming, right? But imagine that joy that you have in hope. It's completed when you actually receive it, right? Sometimes I think very, at a very low level, I think very little, small scale. I think, wow, one day I'm going to have enough money to buy my wife a new phone. See, her phone hasn't been working for several months. Anybody trying to get in touch with her? I apologize. You haven't been able to reach her. So I said, okay, I finally have enough money to pay for a refurbished phone for my wife. Refurbished because I cannot afford $1,000 for a telephone. So I buy this phone refurbished, right? Lots of memory, everything you want. And I, I gift it to my wife and I say, wife, look what I got you. With all smiles. And she goes, oh, I don't need that. I've been living without a phone for so long now. I said, you might not need it, but people need to get in touch with you. <laughs> and they call me, so I need, I, I need you to have this. <laughs> all right? And here I am, and she goes, you know what? Why don't you keep that phone, and I'll just take your old one. What a saint. My wife is such a saint. You know, but when we stop and look at that, we're doing things, we're asking for things, we're, we're hoping that there's something better out there, and when it comes, you expect that it would be like, wow, you know? Thank you. In that moment, I love my wife, but I just, I almost felt a little bit of rejection almost because she's giving me the better thing. I'm like, I wanted to give this to you. It's yours. That's okay. I don't, you know, I appreciate it. Thanks for the thought. How often do we do that with God? You know, it's like God says, here's this perfect gift. It's the best gift you could ever get in your life, and I'm giving it to you. It's a gift. It's free of charge. You cannot earn it. But because I love you, I want to give this to you. And, he, you know, I'm sure he's excited every time any heart turns back to him and says, yes, you are my Lord. You are my king. You are my God. Imagine all of heaven rejoices. The joy is complete. But God says, here's my gift. Thanks for dying on the cross, Jesus. You know, it's, it's okay. Why don't you hang on to it for now? I'll come back if I need it. You get it? I mean, if we think that way at the small scale, <laughs> yes, you're praising God for Iron Man. Okay. <laughs> I love my nephew. He's the cutest. <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> okay. So it was my will to gift my wife with something, right? And oh, the joy, I might have had more joy in knowing that she was enjoying this phone more than I am, okay? I know it's just a phone, but we're talking small potatoes, right? So God's will is for us to receive his love. God's will for us is to come to know him. God's will for us is to walk with him for all eternity. God's will for us is eternal life with our maker. I mean, that's God's will. 
Do you ask things according to his will? Or are you thinking small potatoes? Are you thinking of the little things here on earth, the things that will just pass away anyway? You know? Maybe your prayers are changing. Maybe it's not about yourself. Maybe you start praying for your friends around you because you want to see their hearts turn toward Jesus too. Maybe you're praying for your neighbors or your coworkers. Maybe there's someone that was in the faith and then they walked away, but you're still praying behind their back and you're loving them anyway. No matter how different anybody is from you, you know what? Is your heart that they come to know God too? Because that's God's will. If we pray those things, friends, Believe me, God could use you in a powerful and mighty way to draw hearts back to him. You remember that commission that he gave? To go and make disciples, teach them everything that Jesus has taught? That's it. Are you going out and living your life that way? Joining God in his commission? This is, this is his will for your life. Not just that you get to enjoy all the spoils of his blessings, but that you get to share those blessings with others, all right? Not bragging about it, but sharing the blessing so that you could see God's testimony rising in their life as well, not just your own. To ask anything in Jesus' name means to ask anything that would be pleasing to him. If we remain in Christ, we could ask for anything we wish, and God will do it for us. You could ask for anything you wish, and God will do it for you. This is not the prosperity gospel. This is gospel truth. But before it says, you can ask anything you wish, and he does it for you, it says, if you remain in him, and his words remain in you. If you ask anything that is pleasing to him, that will bring him all the glory and honor and praise so that he could be made known. We don't just praise him when we get what we want. I don't want that girl. I want that girl over there. Make her marry me. Oh, she said yes. I thank God. What if he gave you the woman that you didn't ask for? Would you still thank him? <laughs> you just have to accept it. <laughs> Settle for the lesser thing? Are you still thankful? What joy we can have when we ask and receive. Do you believe God answers prayers? Not sure. Who here believes that God answers prayers? Do you know that he answers not just yes? He also answers no? Yeah? And... and do you trust that he hears your prayer? Yes. Yeah? Because sometimes you don't get the yes. And sometimes you think, does that mean it's a no? But you're waiting because you're not sure. And you're still waiting and waiting. And you think, God, do you hear me? I'm still waiting here. In the waiting and in the struggle, God is there. Remember that? In the waiting and in the struggle, God is there, and he hears you. And he's, if you're, you're walking with him and you're asking him things in his name, that's like my kid comes up to me. He could just start talking when he's beside me. So there's this thing that happened, and I was playing this game, and I really want this app, and he's just talking. I don't know that he's talking to me. And five minutes later when he's done, I'm like, 
sorry, bud, did you say something? Sometimes we kind of live our life with that, like that with God. Sometimes we forget we're walking with God and we're so consumed with what's on our minds. And we're so focused on ourselves, and we're like, okay, I have this problem and how am I going to fix this? And I really wish things would go better for me. And if I just connect with the right people, maybe that could happen. And you haven't addressed God. You start dumping your problems before you seek God first in the midst of your problem. We take God for granted that he actually hears you. If my son said, hey, dad, are you busy? Can I talk to you? I'm right there. I will give him my full and undivided attention. But have you gotten so you suggest complaining to God? Begging him for stuff instead of saying, God, if this pleases you? Because we need God's approval with every decision that we're making. God, this is what I want to do with my life today. Does this please you? God, this is the job that I'm choosing. Is this your will? Does this please you? How could you use me in this place, God? I want to hang out with these friends. Does this please you? With every decision we make, does this please you? Do you care enough to please God? You have to accept his teaching before you expect something. Yeah, when, when you remain in him and his words remain in you, there's definitely that acceptance. Yeah. But if you reject his words, what are you coming to God with? Please, you're manipulating him. Please, just get me out of this. Please. I don't really trust you, but I don't know what else to do, so please. Just make a miracle happen. You know, God still does miracles. I don't think it's wrong for him to call on him when we're at our wit's end, you know. But there is a process. And sometimes those prayers, will be, they will be answered, okay? Sometimes you have to wait. And in that waiting, you learn to trust. And as you learn to trust, he builds your faith. And you continue to wait on the Lord. And sometimes your prayer might change. The thing you were praying for might not seem that important anymore. You're just praying to know God more and more. Faithful God, I want to know how you provide for me. Faithful God, I want to know how you're disciplining me. I want to know how you're shaping me. I want to know what your plan is. I want to know what your desires are. I want to know what you love. I want to walk in your way. I want to give my life to you. I want you to lead my life, Lord God. Take over. What I want, I forsake. Because everything I want now is of you. Your prayer changes. Don't stop praying, friends. Ask anything in his name, and he will do it when you love him. Gratification is greater than satisfaction, right? Gratification is greater than satisfaction. We're going to be looking at a couple stories here, just two stories. Okay, the first one is found here in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at 
Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did there in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. All right, so this is like the first recorded miracle of Jesus in the Bible. And it shows up in the Gospels here. And the beautiful thing about this story here, this uh, changing the water to wine, changing the water to wine, some interesting things to take note of here. His mother was there. Did she ask Jesus to do anything? It doesn't actually say she asked anything. Imagine Jesus and his mom chilling out at a wedding. Hey, look at all this. Look at all these people. Oh, that's a nice dress. And uh, his mother notices, Jesus, look, they're out of wine. <laughs> that's all that it says. It just says that his mother said, went to Jesus and said, look, they're out of wine. And Jesus probably like, Ma, what does that have to do with me? <laughs> like, you know, my time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. However, he performs this miracle anyway. But look at what happens. Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. His mother says, servants, come. Do whatever he tells you to do, okay? <laughs> Thanks, Ma. <laughs> you know, it's like putting the heat on. You ever look at Jesus and his mother this way? Imagine, you know, he's 30 years old, still... Really, Ma? <laughs> and you stop and look at it. And the interesting thing, when she says, do what he tells you to do, then Jesus says, take those jars over there and fill them. So what do they do? They take the jars and they fill them, it says, to the brim. So it's full. They didn't obey halfway and just put enough water in them. They filled it to the brim. So they obeyed the command that Jesus gave. Right? See what happens with that obedience and what God does when we step in and obey his command. His will can be done. I mean, isn't that cool? And then he says to them, now take a little bit of that and bring it to the master. What did they do? They took a little bit of it and they brought it to the master. Right? In this story, they didn't question they're out of wine. Why are we giving them water? You know? Imagine if you were a servant questioning everything along the way. They were just listening. and said, do whatever this man commands you to do. Do whatever Jesus commands you to do. 
today we're living our life. Are you still doing what God's, God is asking you to do? Are you obeying the leading of his spirit in your life? When you read his word and you know there are certain things you shouldn't be doing and certain things you should be stepping into, if you love me, reveal me. If you love me, walk in my commands. Right? Allow your faith in God to drive your life, friends, because God is building that faith. You're not the one building your faith. It's God that's building your faith. So because it's a work that God is doing, you could rely on that. You could stand on that, okay? And you don't have to second-guess yourself. I love this story for a number of reasons. Jesus here, he supplies the physical wine for their physical thirst. See, there was a need that arose. All that Jesus' mother did was point out, listen, they're running out of wine. There's no more wine the married couple would be so embarrassed. They would be shamed if at their feast, at their wedding feast, they ran out of wine. Like, it's so bad, this is what people would be talking about for years to come, right? So Jesus steps in, and he takes away their shame and embarrassment. He saves them from what could be a horrible existence together as they start their new life together. He saves them from having to deal with that shame and embarrassment. But this physical wine is simply a foretaste of the blood wine that Jesus would provide when his hour would come to be glorified. Isn't it interesting? The first miracle recorded is about this physical wine. And the last thing we see of Jesus as he was a human here on earth, was when his blood was shed on the cross. And that blood we take in remembrance of him, we take that wine in remembrance of him for the blood that he shed on the cross. And it's interesting too, notice, you know those stone jars that, that were nearby? These weren't some small little jars like this. It said it holds 20 to 30 gallons. That's a whole lot of gallons, right? And you're looking at six of those jars, and they're huge. And these jars weren't meant for drinking or anything. These were used, it said, for the ceremonial cleansing rituals of the Jews. So before they go and eat, they would have to wash. It doesn't matter how dirty that water is. You'd have to wash because it's a sign that I'm coming to receive from God, and I don't want to be unclean. It mentions that they are stone jars. And according to the, the rabbi's um, teachings, those stone jars cannot be defiled because they're stone. It's permanent, as opposed to earthenware, okay? They're stone, everlasting. But what Jesus does, he puts water in there, and then he draws out wine. That wine would have defiled these stone jars for its purposes. They weren't meant for anything else but ceremonial cleansing, set apart for God's purposes. Why did Jesus do this? Notice how many stone jars there are. How many? Six. In the Bible, are you aware that six represents the number of incompleteness? Right? It's like it's, it's almost there but not not quite yet, right? It, 
how many days were there in creation where God did the work? There were six days where he's doing the work. On the seventh day, he rests because everything was good, but then on that sixth day, he said, but this isn't good. And something more had to happen there. On the seventh day, all was made well. Six is like the number of men. Our efforts will never be good enough. Our efforts can never be good enough. And what Jesus is saying here with this uh, ceremonial jars, they represent the old covenant. They represent all these things that you were doing before, I'm making this new. This is not going to be good enough. And I'm going to bring something that will satisfy, something that is good enough. Okay? I like how the uh, master pulls the bridegroom aside and says, hey, guy, come here. Where were you hiding this wine all this time? See, because normally they, uh, they serve the best wine first. And when everyone drank a little too much and they don't have the good judgment, then, you know, then they give the cheaper wine and they wouldn't know the difference. But he said, wow, I've tasted this and this is the best, you know? See, what God provides is better than anything we, th- we could think of. Right? It's always going to be better. and It's always going to be more than we need. 20 to 30 gallons at the end of the feast when they ran out of wine, they didn't need all that wine anymore. Like these feasts lasted how long? Like a week? Seven days, these wedding feasts. So of course, that's a lot of drinking. And then at the end of the feast, here Jesus is, 20 to 30 gallons times six. That's a whole lot of wine. He didn't just meet their need and satisfy it. He gave them something more, all right? God always gives more and better, right? All who would come and drink of the Spirit of Christ would taste and see that the Lord is good, and he alone could gratify our soul cravings. Here's another story. It's found in John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a, mo- on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had had, when they had all enough to eat, (laughs) he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. 
So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began saying, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. How many of you have heard this story before? Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's like one of the stories that we always teach the kids. I think that's actually their lesson today. <laughs> that's kind of cool. And they always tell the story because there's a little boy involved. And they say, listen, no matter how young you are, God could use you. And that's still true. No matter how old you are, God can use you, right? But let's look at the story a little bit closer. It says 5,000 men. And they only counted the men, right? So along with their wives and their children, a lot of biblical scholars um, assume that there might be closer to about 15,000 to 20,000 people, okay? So they're all sitting there listening to Jesus teach, and they were seeking him because they, they heard about his healing. So a lot of people there were probably sick, and they, they had a need that needed to be met. It also says that this was happening close to the time of Passover. So there were a lot of travelers that were coming along to hear Jesus speak. They wanted to be close to this Jesus. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds coming, I'm sure Jesus had a lot to teach them. But instead of releasing them and saying, look, there's so many of you here, why don't you go find lodging at the nearby cities? Because with this many people, it's going to be hard to find a place to stay. They would go and scatter to go get a place to stay. They might scatter and go look for something to eat, you know. And Jesus brought them out here and led them to almost the middle of nowhere, like in the wilderness by the sea. And Jesus turns to his disciple, Philip, says, hey, Philip, um, let's feed these people. And Philip's like, what? What do you mean feed these people? Right away, he starts to take out his calculator and starts calculating the cost of how much it would take to feed all these people. He said, it would be over half a year's wage to feed all these people. Where are we going to get that money? Philip's like, where are we going to get the money? How is this possible? And then there's uh, Simon Peter, his brother, sorry, Andrew. He, he comes up and says, look, there's a little boy. He has food. How much food did the little boy have? Five loaves and two fish. It says at that time, this was a very common lunch. He just brought enough lunch for himself. He just brought enough lunch for himself. Normally, an adult would have about three pieces of bread and a fish. So that tells us this boy was prepared to share a meal, okay? Would he eat as much as the, as the grown-up did? Now, imagine if you were Philip and Andrew, and you see this crowd of people, 15 to 20,000 people, and Jesus turns to you and says, hey, let's feed these guys. And he, he says, uh, how much would it cost, Jesus says. And it, it says that, Jesus asked it just to test them because Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do, right? So if Jesus were to ask me and I was Philip, I'd probably whip out my phone, check the bank account, you know? I'd probably start calculating and try to scrounge some numbers together. I might look up the closest Uber Eats to see who could deliver it the fastest and for the cheapest amount. You know, like that's what I would do. I would rely on the resources that I have. 
I would look and see, is this possible? Because it seemed to Philip, he thought, this is impossible, Jesus. Even if we had enough money, where would we get the bread to feed all these people? Right? It seemed insane. Andrew comes up. Here's a little boy. He's got a little bit of lunch. But really, Jesus, what are you going to do with five pieces of bread and two fish? <laughs> I'm sure Jesus just kind of smiled inside and smirked. <laughs> you guys have no idea. <laughs> Watch this. Okay. And it says that Jesus, in the midst of this wilderness, looks at all the people and tells his disciples, have them all sit down. They're not going anywhere. Imagine the significance of have them sit down. There was a lot of grass in this area, the Bible tells us. This gives me the picture of a shepherd that leads his sheep in the pasture and makes them lie down beside the still water. And Jesus is going to restore their soul. And he gives them this miracle. Right? He makes them sit down to receive this bread. Okay? And it tells us that Jesus takes the bread, he gives thanks, and then he starts distributing this bread. If I had five pieces of bread and think I have about 20,000 people to feed, maybe I just give a crumb and I portion it out to each person, right? Maybe the disciples and Jesus said, no, give each person as much as they want. Give them as much as they want. And after everybody is satisfied, it tells us there's still leftovers. He was able to feed everybody from five loaves of bread. So he says, wow, there's a lot of leftover here. We don't want this to go to waste. So why don't you get about 12 baskets? That should be enough. And out of those 12 baskets, it says that he filled, the disciples filled those 12 baskets with the remnant of those five loaves. Still came from those five loaves. Why five? Do you know what five represents in the Bible? In this particular story, he's talking about bread. And bread, a lot of the time, it has to do with the word. It has to do with teaching, right? And we eat the bread, we eat the word. So here, here's five loaves of bread. And the number five here, by no accident, people would have understood what Jesus is doing here. I mean, the boy could have had four. He could have had six. But the Bible tells us there were five. This points us back to a time in the Bible, in the Old Testament, when there was God's people in the wilderness, and they had nothing to eat. So God let manna fall from the sky to sustain them. Every day, he gave them just enough manna for the day. They were not to take more than they can, can handle. They were supposed to just take what they needed for the day. If they took more and tried to store it for the next day, it would spoil. Okay? Moses, the books of Moses in the Old Testament is known as the Torah or the Pentateuch. And how many books are there in the Torah? Five. And Jesus is saying those five books, this Mosaic law, all right, this mosaic law, you're thinking small beans, guys. You're hanging on to Moses' law, but look what I could do with this. I'm going to break it apart, and it's going to multiply to something greater that could satisfy the multitude. 
Isn't this awesome? I mean, like, at the time of Moses, why didn't he give them more manna and just say, hey, manna for life, take as much as you want? He said, no, just take enough for now, right? Because that was just enough for then. But what Jesus was doing was making something new. He did this with the wine, right? Here's physical wine now, but then he pours out his life in the blood. Wine to last us forever. The bread. You could have so much of God now in this life that you're living, and there's still enough to go around. You keep feeding on God's word, he'll never run out, right? He provides our every need. So hang on to his teachings. Feed on his word, okay? Feed on his word. There is enough to go around. How many baskets were there? Twelve? Okay, there's two people that know. (laughs) Thirteen? There were twelve baskets that were filled. Where else do we hear the number twelve occur in the Bible? The twelve disciples, the twelve tribes of Israel, the apostles, the foundation of the city. Twelve represents governance, something stable. Jesus is declaring, I am establishing my kingdom. With these 12 baskets, the remnants of this feast, there is plenty and enough to go on forever because God's kingdom is everlasting and eternal, right? And God said, this is what my kingdom looks like with these 12 baskets. There's enough for the journey till I take you to the promised land. God provided manna for the Israelites until they reached the promised land. How dare we keep asking God for more and more when he's already provided all that we need? Thinking, I want quail instead of manna. Give me something else. I'm getting tired of this manna. Do we ever treat God's word that way? I'm getting tired of the same Bible studies. Friends, I got, I got to tell you, I got to admit, when I was preparing this study this week, I'm like, okay, water to wine, okay, uh, five loaves and two fish. I know these stories. Let, let's do it. And then I read into it more and more. And what God started to reveal to me about what he was doing with these stories, stories I learned as a child, wow, it's starting to trip me out. I mean, not that I should be surprised. God always knows what he's doing. I'm just catching up, you know? This is really cool. How is it significant? What is God doing in your life? That he's saying everything that you hung on to before that you thought would sustain you, even in your relationship with God, you might think daily devotionals, you know, reading your Bible, singing praise songs. Sure, the disciplines are good, but they don't save us. They just open us up to his wonder, okay? But when you start to learn more about who God is and you step in and you love him and you start living the way he wants you to live according to his will to please him, man, you're a servant of Christ. And your life starts to look very different. And it's not because of what you're doing, but it's about what God's doing in your life. And he's doing something greater than you could ever have imagined for yourself. My wife was studying psychology. She really wanted to be a psychologist, you know, and she loved it. 
God had different plans for her. I proposed, she said yes, but that same week she was also accepted to, uh, to her master's program. She could go on and continue being this psychologist she always wanted to be. She loves to study. But instead, because I was further away, she would have to leave here and leave me alone. <laughs> but she chose to stay with me after prayerful consideration. She said, Lord, whatever your will is for my life, she gave up her own dream of studying psychology and becoming the world's greatest psychologist. And she seemed to just settle for this life with me. But she prayed about it. And the Lord led her. And he continues to reveal himself to her and to me and our life together. God is revealing so much to us. We count it all as loss. Everything else that we ever wanted in this world, we count it as loss. Because what God has for us is so much greater and so much better than we could have ever imagined for ourselves. That's the joy that I've come to know. And that's why, you know what, I come up here, I give my life to Christ. I say, use me whatever way you want to use me, God. Help me declare your word and share who you are to other people. Because my heart is the same as God's heart. I want people to turn their hearts to him. That's a burden that I carry. I have a burden for souls to be one back to Jesus. So that's what I live my life for today. Are you living to please God or are you living to please yourself? Because it's like you're still using the stone jars just for what they were meant for for the time. Just washing and not letting God do anything great with those stone jars. Or you come before God and you say, listen, this is my life. It's not much. I don't know what you're going to do with it. How, how could you possibly do anything with this life? We might think it's not good enough. But when you come before God, friends, he will use whatever you have, you're giving back to him. You know, everything you have in life, it's from God. It's a gift from God, and he's just entrusted it to your care. We don't really own anything. We've been entrusted to care for things. So whatever you have today, you might not think it's much. But if that's your heart's desire, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to trust you with everything you've given me. I thank you so I return it back to you. No matter how small and insignificant you think it is, our God is able and powerful and mighty to do a great thing with that. He wants to do it in your life. He's still doing it in mine. <laughs> so the joy that comes when you start to see, right, how God is working in our lives. There is a longing in this room. That's good. There's a hunger in this room to know what I'm talking about. I can't explain it to you, but God could show you. All right? You don't get the answers from me. I'm just a messenger, okay? A messenger bringing a message to you, saying God wants you to just come to him as you are, with what you have. And if you put it back in his hands, say, God, have your way in me. This is all I have, but I know you could do so much more. Friends, my prayer is that you could come before God and do just that, trusting and knowing that our God is able. 
We sing it like every Saturday. <laughs> we declare it here at Praise Gathering. But are you living that out and trusting it in your day-to-day -day life? Sing the song from your heart. Let it come back up in thanksgiving and praise to God. Because no matter what we have, it's not going to be good enough if we try to do something with it. So we surrender what we have and give it to God and trust that he will do a mighty thing. God wants to use you. Will you allow him? When he gives a command, will you obey? When he invites you to remain and stay with him, will you sit down on the grass and receive all that he is pouring out into your life? He promised a more abundant life. And we're not talking about material wealth. This abundant life, it, material wealth will fade away. It will not last forever, right? But what he gives you is so much more. And you live your life with cheerful joy and expectation of our God. That you could ask anything you wish in his name and he will do it for you. No more waiting and guessing and wondering, is he hearing me? No, we have confidence in knowing that he hears us and he walks with us. Friends, remain in him. Step into that relationship with him and never leave. Don't cheat. When you're in that relationship with God, don't look out the window and look at what other people have because you'd rather have those things. Know that God has everything you need and he always provides it. And it's better than anything you could want for yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 11. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having what you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I love this passage. How many of us here have trouble being generous? You know, sometimes I still do. <laughs> Sometimes I do because I'm like Philip, right? I want to be generous. I want to give because in my heart I've decided to give this. Then I look at my bank account. I can't do it, you know? And, and I could rationalize and say, oh, it seems that God doesn't want me to do this because there's not enough in my account, you know? Um, but there's something about being generous that I've learned over the last few years. If it's in your heart to be generous... Just be generous. Just give what you can give. Serve how you can serve. Love to the max, because you know what? Love doesn't run out. Be gracious. Be forgiving. Be caring. Serve each other. It doesn't cost you anything. You don't need money to serve. All right? So God calls you to serve. You don't need money for that. Right? He calls you to be a blessing because he's already blessed you so much. Right? If God has blessed you and you are grateful for that, don't you want others to know the blessings of God too? 
God wants to use your life to bless other people too. And you might wonder, how could I be a blessing to others? That little boy offered his food. That little boy, he was ready to share anyway. So what is it if he had to give the, the food to Jesus? What you have right now and you're clinging to, it might just be enough for right now. But it's not going to sustain you forever. It's not going to sustain you forever. So give it up to Jesus. And I don't want to sound trite, but it's this simple. Whatever else you're hanging on to and depending on and relying on, give it up to Jesus and learn to depend and rely on him. Like, that's it. Because you could be thankful knowing that he has everything you could possibly want or need in life. Living with thanksgiving. I'll read it out here. Colossians 3, verse 15 to 17. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. My friends, it's my prayer that you could live a life of thanksgiving, walking moment to moment, moment by moment with your maker, trusting him every step along the way to provide your every need. We don't want, we don't need to want for anything in this world anymore because our God has done it all. And what he has is more than enough. Are you thankful today?